Welcome to today's episode of The Square. I'm really excited to be able to share a live Square Forum episode that uh, we recorded. And I'm here with Corey Deer, who's the Studio Design Director, Eric Schick, who's the CEO of Seed, and Chris Griffin, who is the President and Co-Founder of Hover Energy. Thank you guys so much for being here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about today has to do with relationships, specifically with how healthy systems grow. So we've got to start off with how you guys, uh, you know, kind of found each other in your relationship in, in business. Uh, found is a good word. Uh, it's 2009, and uh, I was able to meet Chris at a, there was a forum of CEOs who were thought leaders and thinking about how do we make the place, this planet, a better place for people using buildings, the built mm -hmm. environment, that was really early on at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And then they went around and had an introduction and uh, I introduced myself to somebody who just said, man, we want to do things the right way, you know, a way that would honor God and bless mankind, Mother Earth in the marketplace. And Chris Griffin stands up over the table and goes, dude, I need to get to know you. <laughs> and that's how it started. That's right? It. Yeah, that was okay. it. I mean, and as soon as and it started, we just knew there, we were fast friends in, in that minute. Uh, we shared a common language. We shared a common desire to do things while we were here, and uh, and immediately uh, we embarked down that path. And yeah. and Chris, with you, while Hover Energy is an is an incredible idea, and I want to get into that. It really was born out of the idea of kind of distributed energy, right? Yeah, I've just, I've always just felt that there's a uh, there's a better way to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, right? And. And I think, it, I think that probably drives a lot of us, doesn't yeah. it? And so for me, uh, we, I used to have a, a phrase when, when, when Eric and I first met, I used, to, I used to offer up this phrase a lot that we're surrounded by sun, wind, water, and waste. We don't have an energy problem. We have an energy conversion problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's just find out how to convert energy better. And, and, and so we used to say those kinds of things and, and find ways to do it. And we were constantly looking at new technologies and new, new systems that would, that would grow in a healthy way. And so we really, uh, we're, we're looking at that for a long time. And then Hover Energy came from that and, and, and that mentality. Tell me a little bit, I got the, the joy of coming and visiting you guys and getting to see uh, some of the, the different Hover Energy technologies. Tell me a little bit about them. Well, um, <laughs> Hover And was, you only have like, you know, 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> How much time for this portion? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take whatever you need, but I, I can give you the 30-second version. Um, really, what, what we embarked upon with Hover was we felt like we could help turn the built environment into a power source. Yeah. That's the vision and the goal of all that we do. Um, and we started with what we call a, a vertical axis wind turbine, as you see on the screen here. And that we went through many iterations. There's a lot of people who've tried to put wind on rooftops and failed famously. Yeah. And, uh, and we learned from some of the things that they did. But we really, by trying to solve a problem that a lot of people hadn't solved, uh, we reached out to people and formed relationships. And we reached out to people in the industry from some of the best aerospace engineers who were putting spaceships in orbit to uh, people who were trying to figure out how to make a better motor for a car. Yeah. And we looked at everybody in between. And, and we, brought the f we went and met with these people and brought their wisdom to bear on, on some ideas. And we adapted and changed until we found what was something pretty special. Well, and I loved, because when you, you gave the example, um, and we'll, we'll make some of this stuff available um, in, the, in the links below, 
but um, you gave the example of having these um, wind turbines, is that the way to refer to them? Yeah. Okay, wind turbines on top of buildings out just a little bit over the ledge and I thought about it. I was at the beach uh, this last summer with my son and he was flying a kite and he let it go and we had we we're right next to the hotel and I watched that kite and I thought it's gonna hit somebody's balcony and it got right up to the the building and then just shot straight up right. and over right and that's kind of key is the placement of where these go getting that uplift and and turning that into energy yeah absolutely I mean the wind turbines are the uh, are kind of the star of the show yeah uh, but they need a supporting cast too Right. Uh, but but to your point, what we discovered is that a lot of people who were looking at trying to put some sort of energy source on a building weren't thinking about the building. Yeah. They were just thinking about the building as some sort of tower or a, or a roof that they could put solar panels on. Yeah. And, and because of that, we started with the building and we went to aerodynamics and aerospace engineers who were doing aeronautical studies on how wind was flowing around buildings. And we realized that that updraft on the front edge of a building, uh, the predominant front edge where the wind's coming from, that that had a tremendous impact in addition to the horizontal wind you were getting. Yeah. And just like you saw with the kite, uh, you know, anybody who looks over the edge of the roof, just you feel the back. wind. Yeah. And so how could you capture that? How could you do it? Something you don't see when you're walking around an urban environment, but it's there yeah. on every building. And so we started with that approach and that, that took a lot of time to, yeah. to analyze, but, <laughs> uh, and there's still people trying to do it in an urban environment. It's very complicated, uh, but the long and short of it is what we discovered was there was a way to do it and, mm -hmm. and we found it. So Chris, you mentioned uh, solar and that's kind of been the predominant way to harness uh, energy at this point. What would you, how would you sort of compare the efficiency of solar to wind, mm. uh, like you're speaking to right now? Yeah, well, it, um, <laughs> the great answer is it mm. depends, right? Yep. But, um, <laughs> uh, but solar and wind have two different efficiencies, and really the, the, the efficiency shouldn't matter where you are, okay. but your production number changes based on geography. Okay. Right? There are places where solar is great in the Arizona desert. Mm -hmm. There are places where solar isn't yep. in Seattle, right? <laughs> there are just places where you're going to get better performance based on your geography. Mm -hmm. And so our, our belief is not, hey, we're wind and we're better than you solar. Yeah. It's, hey, what is your environment building? Yeah. And let's solve for your building. Okay. And let's make sure that we're looking at, at what your surroundings are and capturing the best possible solution. Mm -hmm. So the direct answer to your question mm -hmm. is uh, we can get an efficiency that is more than double solar okay. easily. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we're going to get more performance unless you're in the right location, gotcha. unless you install it properly, unless you're working with the building mm -hmm. to make sure that what you're doing is solving the problem, mm -hmm. not just putting a product in place and hoping it works. Right? Gotcha. There's, there's more to it. So, so yes, it's a, it's a big difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and solar still is not that efficient. Um, there are other solar, bifacial solar, there's, mm -hmm. uh, there's concentrated solar, there's, there's a lot of uh, even thermal solar that are, that are much more efficient than PV, um, but they're, they're more expensive mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and they are not always the right answer either. So it really is a, a little bit more of a, uh, a customized solution and a customized mm -hmm. approach. And Hover's ultimate solution is that we're installing wind-powered microgrids mm -hmm which sounds like something everybody's doing, but there is nobody doing it. And the reason it's an interesting comment is wind power microgrids, you're like, I know wind power, I know microgrids, I've heard those two words, but they're not put together okay. because people aren't using wind power in a microgrid environment. 
They're using it on the macro grid. Uh, and so for us, we want to partner with solar. We look at the, their system is very helpful. Mm -hmm. and, and in the middle of the day when the sun's really going, that's a great time to, to generate some solar. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's any more efficient than yeah. it was the day before, yeah. but it doesn't mean you should ignore it either. Yeah. It might be a, a good answer to help your building. Well, and one of the things, and I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but one of the things that makes this so efficient is the fact that it's a maglev, right? Like yeah. there's practically no friction whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, my, maybe our, our favorite, um, favorite aspect of the wind turbine, if anyone's ever been to a wind farm, or if you've ever been to a, uh, even, even some of the smaller wind, uh, wind turbines that you find, they're just loud, Yeah. right? And most of that is the gearbox, the gear system, and what have you. Uh, on, on all of our installations, the unit is nearly silent. In fact, we've, the installation where you where we're sitting, we're installed right next to a, an air conditioner. We, at one point, we were filming a little video, and we had to stop because the air air conditioner was interrupting on. us. Yeah. Right, and so that is the part of that is the, is the maglev, but part of that is what we call laminar airflow, and that means that wind is flowing through the turbine, and it is not creating a vibration. It's not creating any turbulence, and that took a lot of time to discover and to really design. So blade shapes, the angles, you know, the, the funny looking thing that you see here, the way these look like an airplane wing on one side, but not on the other. And the shroud that we put around the thing that's spinning, which is called the rotor. The, those pieces are all designed very carefully to achieve that laminar airflow, which means it spins without vibration or wobble. And that allows it to spin silently. But yes, what you're looking at there is a, is really the world's first ever magnetically levitated magnetically powered wind turbine <laughs> and uh and it was it took a long time to get there but a lot of fun to do mm -hmm. all right so eric tell me a little bit about seed and green yeah how we got started is we started as pantheon tile um and uh we still have a tile company to this day and that afforded us relationships and success just like at corrigan and uh, as we began to accumulate some success, we began to deploy some of those resources to invest in what we originally connected over, which was, man, let's leave this earth and this place and all the places and people we meet better than the way we found them. So helping to co-found Cover uh, or Hover was uh, one of those endeavors that we endeavored upon. And then later that led into, because of one of the original ideas that I had is, boy, I would love to see a building act like a human body. Mm -hmm. be a contributor, be something that gives back. Maybe it's something that can protect itself or protect the air around it or the people around it. And, um, and then later that goes into food production, you know, and I, and I look at two of the biggest endeavors we've spent our time on is, is energy, hover, these magnetically levitated turbines and the turbines that we're building now, and uh, Eden Green, being part of a co-founder of Eden Green, which is agricultural, vertical agricultural production, which both are energy, right? One is energy for the body and one is energy for the building. And, and that was our endeavor and that, f that flared into um, a new zeal and a new, a new mission called SEED, which is consumables, energy, environment, and design. And when you take those four things and we use integrated distribution technologies like Hover Energy or Eden Green, whatever it may be, we're gonna make the world a better place. We're gonna talk about things for the future too that will integrate into that voice. So we're really an integrator of those things and, and a relational builder. Uh, and that's one thing I was always impressed with, with with Chris is he put the relationship first. When we work with teams, we put the relationship first. Yeah. Whatever we're building, providing, or talking about, how does that relate to, and that seeds real mission. How does what we do relate to the space, 
relate to the need that the architect, the designer, the owner, the user, the pedestrian need? How does it relate to that? How does it relate fiscally to the market? And, um, and one thing I loved about Chris too and Hover is that we're not in competition with anyone. This is not a race to revenue. If, if sun is great or hydrogen and storage and all these different things, let's all come together. And in fact, yeah. they've built yeah. a mechanism to help everything come together. That's right. So that seed's role is really kind of a synthesis. You know, I love when carbon, I love carbon, I love hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, but when you put them all together, yeah. it's yeah, tasty, sure. right? Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's the mission, really. So with, you know, some of these pictures mm -hmm. that we're seeing, uh, there's, it's pretty impressive. Is there anything you can't grow? <laughs> if it's a tree, if it's a bush, if it's yeah. a root, we can't grow it in that system. But what that system did basically is optimize synthesis. So there's ways to grow those things, but not in that system. But we can grow so many things. There's That's so much awesome. you can grow. It's awesome. Eric, one thing I was wanting to ask you mm -hmm. is, could you describe the format of Eden Green, the way that they do the vertical farming? So what we're typically used to seeing is these trays that you, know, you have the LED lights that are moving up and down. Um, and then the way that you guys have it structured is a little bit different. Could you speak to that and then also speak to how automated is this and are there employees working in there and just talk a little bit more yep. about that. So hydroponics has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're seeing today is, a, is the introduction of a lot of artificial light into hydroponics. And what was different about what we found from uh, the two brothers, Eugene and Jacques in South Africa is we were using the best light in the world, which mm -hmm. is full spectrum, which is sunlight. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to, two things, reduce the amount of energy we were using to grow a product, to grow agriculture, but we're also able to amplify the amount of production. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you look at production and what you can grow per square foot, we're about 240x regular farming mm -hmm. per square foot. And we're using a whole lot less energy. Mm -hmm. We're using about 2% of the water open land farming would use. And the health of the product because there's two things, it's not just how we can grow it, but how are we taking care of the space that the plant grows in? Mm -hmm. And so there was something we started a long time ago, um, the ecosystem in, inside, the Eden ecosystem, of bringing in food safety and making that really a top notch. That was something we really, really focused on because it's gonna go in a human body. So while bodies are working in that space, and we do, there's about 20 people that work mm -hmm. in the farm. And uh, automation is gonna be key. You know, if we had touchless production, how cool would that be? from For a food sure. safety yeah, perspective, yeah. you know? And so that's something that's on the forefront as well. Great. Corey, are you mm -hmm. seeing, you know, uh, I, I know that there's been a big push for lead and for well mm -hmm. and for, you know, being aware of your, your footprint and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing opportunities to plug things like this in? Well, when you think about uh, maybe it's a big company that's building a headquarters and they're chasing that UI, uh, racing towards net zero. And that actually brings up another question for you, Chris, and your, um, your annoyance with net zero, but we'll go, well, maybe we can get into that later. Um, but anyways, to do that, um, over the years, most people have been looking to solar to get that done. Mm -hmm. And one of the issues is you run out of square footage and you run out of acreage fairly quickly right. if you don't have enough of that. So you may have to do some of that offsite and that goes into one of your other uh, annoyances as well. Um, so what Hover could do is offer the ability to get more energy on the site. That's right. And then I think the other thing with uh, the vertical farming is, you know, think about HR and doing a tour of the building and telling the employees, you know, hey, this is food that you can eat. You can walk mm -hmm. around it, you can see it grow. And I think that actually having that ability to take that food and consume it, you know, during the regular day mm -hmm. could be really powerful. So, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, you 
had a term that has stuck with me when we came and visited you a couple of weeks ago called greenwashing. And it was the first time I'd heard it. And it was this idea that there's companies, or, or the, it's maybe not even necessarily intentional, but it's something where companies can can kind of make themselves look good by buying credits and sustainability or, you know, mm-hmm. carbon mm-hmm. credits um, versus, but when that happens, nothing's really changed. It hasn't changed yeah. what their footprint really is. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, greenwashing, it, it, it term's been around for a little bit, but it really was kind of a, a little bit of a derogatory term. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're, you're making yourself look green, but you're really not. Uh, you're emitting more carbon than you did the year before, but you put up a few solar panels and those are all the pictures on your website. So are you really green? No. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think where, where that has, has, has developed and where it's really kind of uh, stepped into a new realm really most recently is that a lot of people are looking at um, uh, corporate goals towards net zero as being um, disingenuous because you're buying carbon credits that are some wind farm, you know, 400 miles away, but you're emitting more carbon than you did the year before. Right. <laughs> if, I, if I emit three times as much carbon as I did last year, but I went out and bought three wind farms, I'm still net zero and I'm the hero. Right. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not really decarbonization. Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong because those wind farms are helping right. in theory, although they're not recyclable. But given that they actually are, are, are producing green energy, in theory, you're reducing the use of coal burning plants somewhere else or some fossil fuel burning, what have you. <clears throat> the real question is, is the, is the global system at net zero, right? And in, the, in, that, in that scenario, it isn't even close. It actually got worse because you've emitted three times as much as you did before. Right, exactly. So in some ways, people are even claiming that that kind of, that net zero type maneuver, if you're continuing to emit more carbon, is actually greenwashing. That, you're, that the term of you just trying to look good is by buying carbon offsets and by buying these you know, virtual PPAs, although in theory good and in the long run should be better, than where we are today. Um, if you're getting worse on the other side at the same time, then that's a bad, that's a bad system. So moving back towards the idea of relationships, I mean, obviously you guys have a, have a, have a great relationship, well. but this is really meant to be, yeah, but this is really meant to be, you know, looking at some of the relationships of how these technologies come together to make mm-hmm. a real difference, not just a greenwashed difference, right? That's right, yeah. And how does that, how does that, how do you see that now and how do you see that moving forward? Go ahead. You know, I think some of the the incentives are misaligned. Now, that's a political issue and whatever it may be. Sure. You know, we're paid to produce mm-hmm. carbon dioxide and other ground level ozones, by the way, that I think mm-hmm. are something we need to talk about before carbon dioxide or NOx and SOx and things like that. But, um, you know, until those things happen, um, right now we're trying to push into areas where could we tell a carbon capture story because we're taking, uh, I, I, love the, I love the idea of a data center. Let's take the carbon out of a natural gas turbine and let's feed it into the system. We're feeding our plants gas, uh, oxygen, and CO2. There's a real story there mm-hmm. of, of maybe not capture, but conversion, where it literally becomes part of that plant. And I think those are the things that are so interesting that we need to begin to discover and talk about. The other thing would be, and they're, they're kind of future discussions, but catalyzing the air that comes through our turbine, mm-hmm. right? That relationship. You know, I, we, we deal with wind, right? It's, 
Air is one of the most important. I, sometimes I give a, a, a speech and I'll go out and I'll say, what is the most important thing we can't live without? Water. Mm. And I'm like, wrong. Yeah. It's air. If we turn the air off, we got a problem. You're going to go right. way quicker right. than yeah. water. <laughs> yeah, right. And, sure. and, you know, and wind is air in motion, right? right? So as we capture that and it goes through our system, what can we do to not only convert that into energy, but to help rid of ground level ozones? And those are real things that we're going to be able to talk about and deploy because it's happening now. We just need to integrate those sciences together. Yeah. So yeah. is there a missing piece, meaning you know, you, you've, we've got kind of this ecosystem of technologies. We've got people like Corey and, and clients that want to see those become a reality and put them into practical use. Mm -hmm. What's the missing piece? I, I would argue that the missing piece is just, it's a cultural shift, yeah. right? We've That's been right. doing business the same way for a really long time. And the innovation is, is really becoming rapid these days. Um, you, you know, you could, you could argue that Silicon Valley started a lot of this tech innovation and that, that there's a lot of truth there. But if the rest of the system doesn't come along line, it's not just that we can all connect through Wi-Fi and therefore we're all connected. But what that should tell all of us is that if we're all connected, then we all better work a little better together. Yeah. Maybe we should be mm -hmm. playing better together rather than yelling at each other, right? And, and that's, part of what we, that's part of what we're trying to do is that it's, it, we don't want to just have a cool wind turbine. We want to make sure that the, the wind and the solar work together to put more power into a building. So we had to design a whole other product that we call the IEMS, which allows you to do both. And by the mm. way, I'm lead AP. Mm. The most lead points you can get is for on-site energy generation. And because solar is inefficient, you couldn't get that many points. You can get 40 or 50 points for solar, or I mean for, for a hover wind turbine because you get four or five X, what you can get from solar. That takes you from lead to lead platinum, right? That, that, that's a big jump. So if, you're, if your corporate goal is to get there and you're saying, I should focus on on-site energy. Mm -hmm. Well, now the on-site energy though, should be looking at the way we approach it is our system will work better in year two. Why? Because it's gonna learn from your building and it's gonna mm -hmm. learn how to interface with your building and how you use power throughout the year and how your building operates. And so maybe everybody shows up at exactly the same time. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna store a little more power for that moment. Maybe we can load shift a little bit and we can send more back to the grid. And this year was one way, but next year we're gonna do a little bit better. And so when was the last time you purchased this asset that accreted in value from year to year? Never, <laughs> like, like now maybe aren't maybe there's some good real estate, but yeah. <laughs> but but your cars go down in value every day. You know, you're 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 uh, you know, you, you can't buy clothes and it gets better the next yeah, day. Yeah, not right? an equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. right. And and I'm not. I mean, I've got a little better with age, but not yeah. much. So I'm not going up in value. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think what's happening is that we're starting to see ways that you can you can look at how systems interface with vertical farming, with energy, with a building system. How does all this operate? And then, hey, let's not just, let's not stop at the building envelope and the building footprint, but what are we doing in the community around us? Do they need food? Do they need right, power? Right. And how does this building become a contributor to the, commu to the community around me? Mm -hmm. and, right. Do you think that that is, uh, that those kinds of things go towards building the trust that that relationship can kind of you know, ferment mm. in and become something that's really solid? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I would say to, I would assert is that the economics has been a mis missing link. 
It's great that we can do these sure, things. It's, it's really wonderful, but is it economically viable? Does sure. it need subsidies right. to live on? These kinds of things. So I think, you know, and then the, the other thing is just the bravado of the creationists, the people who, you know, I call the architect and design community. I mean, that's a group of people who have the creative ability to manifest these things, right? I know a brave girl named Sam who's been out looking at both things and going, She wouldn't have to be the director of Hugo, which is <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, but that, that kind of bravado and being able to see that and going, okay, it all fits now because we didn't just bring something that's socially desirable, mm -hmm. desirable it's economically viable. Yeah. Yeah. And to Chris's point, I think is the, is the biggest is, okay, now what are we gonna do once we have that? And it is economically viable. Yeah. How do we share that with people? And I think that's the biggest thing we need to be doing. Talking about treating each other better in this world right. is sharing some of this stuff that you get when you come up with these great ideas. Well, and, and to that point, we've, you know, we've encountered a lot of parties. I mean, we've been working mm -hmm. with some great people at JLL and people at CBRE. The guys at Brookfield are really pretty special. There's some, there's some great, parties contributing to this. We've, yeah. I've mm -hmm. spent some time with Stream Realty this week. Like these, these are people that are progressively trying to do something different in the built environment. They're, we're not, and, and I think Corgan's the same. Like there's, there, the architectural world, the entire design community is saying, it's time to, it's time to change this model. And by even, even engaging with new technologies about how that can happen, that helps change it. For because sure. you only need to see a few before everybody says, I want to do that. Yeah. And, and that's what's that's what's helping lead the charge at this point. And so that kind of leadership, I think, has been has been a little missing. People have been too. It's been too easy to just do business the old way. And and now it, it's finally gotten to the point whether we've been scared into it or we've all actually really bought into it. Doesn't matter. We're there, and the right. whole world is saying it's time to go. And now it's looking for all right. Who's leading this charge? Yeah, yeah. And you you know you talked about cultural shifts and 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 all that kind of changing the mindset. I was thinking about the difference between a Prius and a Tesla, for example, because the Prius was kind of this dorky machine, you know, and, and then you, you look <laughs> so out, many jokes. you know, you, you look out on the streets in Dallas and well, all the Teslas Toyota. driving by. Yeah. Well, of course, we love Toyota. Uh, but uh, but anyway, um, you think about the difference there and, you know, the Tesla going to, from zero to 60 in what, like three or four seconds, something like that. Yeah. And so you, you thought this this little, you know, dinky thing just plodding along, you know, the electric vehicle of the past, but now it performs even better yeah. than yeah. a combustion engine. Right. And so I think that when you start seeing something like that and then merging that with really high quality design, I think that's when things really take off. So I think yeah. totally it's agree. gonna take those two things coming together. Well, and we, right. you know, we've thought about hover that way a lot. Like we're, you're no longer just flying around with a little propeller, mm -hmm. you're flying a jet. Yeah. yeah. And rather than mm -hmm. putting this spinny thing on mm -hmm. your roof, why not put a jet engine? Don't mm -hmm. you think you're going to get more power? Yeah. Like, or or in the case of hover, multiple jet engines. Yeah. Exactly. So it's about more space. That's right. <laughs> um, That's we're going to take some questions from the uh, from the chat, so please feel free to put any in there that you have. The first one, how environmentally friendly are the created components that make up your products, vertical farm included, and what are the energy costs in making each component? Mm. You want to go with vertical farm first? Sure. Uh, nuts and bolts question. What are the costs to make those things? Not the right guy to ask. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but I will say this. It's um, the raw materials we use to produce agriculture are around us, right? That's free. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of it. Um, food grade plastics is what we use to extrude in the vines. We call them a vine that grows. And outside of that, there's not a lot of cost. One thing we didn't want to do is produce a lot of energy or consume a lot of energy naturally. So um, when you look at it in a holistic perspective, 
it's a very healthy system that it's growing in because we can reuse all the parts that we're growing. There's galvanized steel, there's polypropylene, there's cement, and food grade plastic, and all those can be reused. And yeah. it's very inexpensive. We've got the, I think the latest numbers are down to about $100 per square foot to build. Um, wow. And so everything else from there is organic and is gonna come from the earth and return to the earth and, or go through us before it gets to the earth. We won't go in detail about that part. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty irreducibly complex in that regard. And for hover for um, for our turbines, um, I'm not going to give you our, our pricing model at the moment, but I will give you the environmental <laughs> prices that we that we got. So um, we for are the, for, the, for the model. You have to contact Chris specifically. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, and I need to hear about your project first. So, um, but we are. I can tell you that the uh, it's 100% recyclable. All of them, and. But the carbon price, so the price that, the, that you would pay for the environment, is 50.2 grams per kilowatt hour. So if that's a measurement you're looking for, hopefully that helps. Okay. Um, one thing real quick before we go to the next question that I thought was interesting um, is, Eric, you, we've, you're right, the, some of the pictures that we were looking at is here in North Texas, and it's at your facility. But you guys have been looking a lot at pretty unusual places to put some vertical farms, right? Mm -hmm. Like in, in buildings downtown and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and that thought is amplified yeah. by talking to creative groups like yourselves. Um, and we've thought about it a long time ago, um, you know, whether it's on rooftops or it's integrating it into structures, it's putting in containers, uh, shipping overseas, uh, integrating into military facilities, right? There's, there's, really, it's, there's really endless opportunity because wherever it's consumed, food consumed in enough density, mm -hmm. is, there's going to be a good place. We'll find a place for yeah. it if mm -hmm. there's not, for sure. Um, all right, so our next question um, is for Chris. With Hover, can a building be completely off the grid? And mm. then some. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say it this way, that it depends on your building, of course. Uh, the Burj Khalifa, no. Um, but if you are a distribution center, yes. Uh, well, there are a couple of different distribution centers we've modeled for some big name box stores. <coughs> Won't go named at the moment, but um, <laughs> but we were putting 250 to 300 percent of the power on the building, mm -hmm. and that was just with the wind turbines. That's crazy. Had we added mm -hmm. solar, we could have gotten to even more. And so the question becomes: Well, what do you do if you're 300 percent of the power? What do you do with the extra 200 um, percent? And my my answer is always sell it to your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Create a mm -hmm. microgrid, uh, or make or create a, a community power, which is which they're already doing community solar. But why not do it all on site rather than build a new community solar and just sell it to somebody? Do it on a building that's already there rather than take up more land. One of the biggest challenges with renewables seems to be energy storage. Can you talk a little mm. bit about some of the challenges with storage and advancements being made? Yes, I can. Ooh. I can talk a lot. A about long time. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite topics, but we'll keep it short. So um, the simple answer is this. If you have better renewable energy production, you need less storage. Number one, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. But the wind does blow often and the sun does shine at a pretty regular occurrence. So you can have a very predictive analysis with solar, which has already been done for many years, so it's pretty common. But if you add in the fact that the wind's blowing throughout the evening, then there are less times when you have no power at all. Therefore, the amount of storage you need is lower. So one of the first issues is you can drop your storage needs and cost by adding wind to your microgrid. That's the first answer. Uh, 
Secondly, is there aren't any super great storage answers. The solar predominant is still lithium ion, and, it's, and it works, and, it, and it's getting cheaper and cheaper, just like PV got cheaper and cheaper. Uh, and yet, there are only a few people who are actually making them, a lot of them, yeah. and really well. Tesla just announced last week that you can do 95% uh, recyclability of of their own lithium-ion mm -hmm. batteries that if you bring it back to the plant, right? So, That's there's awesome. a, so which is great um, if you bring it back to their plant. Uh, make sure you do that. Yeah. But, the, but, <laughs> but the other part of that is uh, there are some great technologies. One of my favorites is graphene. They're doing some great work with graphene in, uh, and making it much more compact and lighter, uh, longer life cycles, uh, much higher discharge recharge rates and what have you, but it's still pretty expensive. So. They're, they're really looking at some, you know, some lead acid batteries, which you wouldn't expect would come back, but they're looking at ways to make that cheaper. And of course, mm -hmm. the, whole, uh, the whole endeavor on hydrogen is really you know, changing that game a little bit too. So there are some great, great storage answers on the horizon. For now, lithium ion's the answer. If you're gonna put something in your building, it's gonna be a lithium ion storage capacity. Uh, but my suggestion would be, <clears throat> make sure you're thinking about a wind power microgrid where you're putting wind, solar, and then you need less storage to begin with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with vertical farming, uh, how much food do you produce, Eric? And how does that food get distributed to the community? Great question. In an acre, just over an acre, we'll produce a million pounds of food per year. Golly. That's a result of about 11 to 13 harvests per year. Wow. It's huge. And so the that's saying a, we- That's a harvest a month. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. That's yeah. crazy. When you optimize synthesis, some cool stuff happens. Yeah. And so um, production raises. The other thing is we always say, you know, hey, the, we used to have to go to the farm. Now the farm is coming to you. So uh, for instance, the first one that was built four years ago, we built it across from a distribution center. Some people might think, hey, let's have food close to the density of consumption, mm. density of distribution is an equal, maybe even better strategy. Mm -hmm. So an easy answer for that is we can build them anywhere. And a key part of that is um, we can take a climate from around the world too to build food you couldn't normally get here. And I say build food, we're manufacturing atoms, right? So we can do that here. So we can take food, unique foods, grow them anywhere and have them literally in a store. We had that happening early on. We had food in a store the very next day. Yeah. So, wow. and that's one thing that I think we're going, that needs to happen when you study how much, how many miles food drives before it gets to somebody. Right. You lose about $4 billion from climate. You lose about 50% of the food through logistics. So by the time it's getting to a distribution center or some use space, we're, the shortfalls are huge. So we're not gonna disrupt the distribution channel. I think we're gonna transform the distribution channel. So literally, we, we envision having food in, in the hands of people. And, and not just you know the 80 uh, or the 78%, 68% of the people who can afford it, but in, in people's hands, we want to democratize access to healthy food. And some of that's taking the, you know, the transformation cost or the, the um, transportation cost out of it. So, so with taking those steps out, you're also, you're, are you essentially getting fresher and healthier food at a lower absolutely. cost? And absolutely, and, and more of it. it. Yep, that's that's and amazing. safer, right? So there's no pesticides, there's no herbicides, there's right. none of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So the nutritional density is through the roof. Just the out cost. of just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. uh, let's say I don't know if you can break it down to this number, but per acre, 
um, in terms of putting it into a community that maybe also needs jobs? What does that look like? Oh, so that's a great question. So you, you can, we'll employ 30 people in a farm. Um, and what we're, in, in, under the CEO of Eden now, one of the initiatives they've continued to carry through is something called First Fruits. Mm -hmm. So we wanna make an economic impact in the area, but we also wanna leave a social footprint. Let's create a space that creates jobs. Right. Then let's assign some of that portion of each harvest, call it first fruits, right? To feed that community around. Mm -hmm. And not just food deserts, not just locating in a food desert, um, but being in areas where, and, and it, it's, a core, it's a core part of the strategy, being in areas where you assign, hey, we're gonna send 10 to 30%, 20%, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. for the community around us. And we're, and we're looking at creating purchase agreements, and when we talk about power purchase agreements, I like to talk about produce purchase agreements where we have, you know, a social initiative that's driven by several different people. You know, not just community, but customers who may buy a lot of this who say, man, I want to get on that as well. Yeah. So, it's a long answer. No, that was made, great. Yeah. Well, and in line with that, with speaking of purchasing agreements, another question that came in um, for you, Chris, is selling excess power to, say, Encore, um, easy to do? Is that something that they already have a system for, they open to? Well, it's really easy to send your kilowatts back to the grid. <laughs> um, does Encore willingly buy it all the time? Uh, they will, they just won't pay you a lot for it. Yeah. Right? The, way they, the way you typically structure a net metering agreement like that is <clears throat> they will pay you the cost similar to the price of what their cost of supply is, but they're not paying you for transmission. And in some mm -hmm. places, in, in Texas, that's about a 60-40 split. Mm -hmm. The cost of transmission is about 40% of, of the cost of your bill. So if your bill's 10 cents, you pay 4 cents for delivery, right? right. So they're only gonna pay you six if you pay 10 because you're just creating supply. <clears throat> but in some states, like New York, that number is flipped where you're paying 60, even 70% for transmission. That's because mm. Con Ed owns all the wires, but none of the production. And it's so mm. deregulated with a lot of competition that they're very upset that no, they can't charge you for that. Yeah. So they just raise their delivery prices since they own the wire. And so, yes, you can sell it back. Uh, oftentimes, it's not the most economical thing to do. And in Texas, it, you can. Uh, and it's a revenue stream. So if you're not using it at all, okay, fine. Right. If you've filled up all your storage and you feel like you you don't need any more load shipping and things like that, that point. then yeah. well, you m might as well get that income. Um, but it may not be as much as you think. Um, all right, last question. Um, Chris, can you tell us how your vertical farm in Cleburne did during Snowmageddon? <laughs> I mean, sorry, yeah, I Eric, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to tell how your vertical hover farm did during yeah. Snow Again? <laughs> Still worked. <laughs> yeah. Eric, Actually, how did it? it's a good one to answer. It too. is a good yeah, one because Texas didn't Texas Wind had a little issue. Down, right? yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good during point. Snow vid. And, and, and that, that you know, challenge at that moment, we kept thinking, why didn't you weatherize your wind turbines? They do them in the North Sea and in Denmark. Why, yeah. For some reason, we didn't do it in Texas. Yeah. And it's really the spec. <clears throat> that Encore uh, put out there. They decided they didn't want to pay for it. Yeah, there and it is. I, and now, and you know, lo and behold, <laughs> it's a failure. So your prices are probably going up. So we move <laughs> a lot of water, right? Yeah. We move a lot of water. And so it got really cold. And so pumps and pipes and things like that broke. Um, but what we looked at from that, and, and you have insurance policies and things to take care of that. And since sure. I'm not in the day-to-day -day with, uh, with Eden, I didn't have the exact numbers, but um, those things got replaced 
but I think what's beautiful from that, just like Hover, we were talking when it was freezing cold, we're like, man, let's do a parasitic draw and put a membrane in there and heat up the turbine and nothing, you know. And same thing with Eden. I mean, everything, the beautiful thing about the simplicity of the construction Mm -hmm. is reconstruction, right? And Mm -hmm. getting it back online. So yes, it was down for quite a while. Uh, There's about five zones in there, so at least we're able to start by zone, so you get production up and running again. But that first facility is an R&D facility for a reason, and Mother Nature helped us become better. Yeah. Can I I add something to that? Please. Because Mm -hmm. I think what you were, even the the idea of what happened during Snowmageddon, um, when a system gets shocked like that, right, Mm. it, it puts pressure on the pressure points that we're not ready for. And I think that's one of the things that we're really trying to address here is how do you make sure that all these systems work together so that those things don't happen? Mm-hmm. And, and how do you, you build the system such that it acts like an ecosystem? Yeah. Such that the building works together with the power, works together with the food, works together with the community, works together with transportation, right. works together with light. All of these things are happening in a more symbiotic way yeah. <laughs> such, mm-hmm. that, such that you're not struggling in those moments. That maybe you adapt in those moments, just like nature does. Yeah. But maybe you don't stress out, right? And that's the that's <laughs> really the hope that we're that we're trying to bring to these systems. Like there is a way to do this well, where I'm not fighting the guy next to me in order to make sure I get the better deal and the better dollar for right. the building. But we're going to work together to do the right thing for the building because for 20 years that's a better answer, right? And yeah. that's the same thing that I think that that the that the system here in Texas experienced, we, we made some exceptions. We, we made some decisions based on pricing that cost us. And sometimes yeah. that's not a smart move. And now I'm not saying we should all pay more. That's not, that's clearly not because our systems are cheaper. Yeah. But, but the point is that's not, that shouldn't be the focus. We should be focused on, when you focus on the entire system, different types of costs come in. If you're in California and you have rolling brownouts, you know what a different cost looks like. You know that you have to mm. put on your diesel burning generator in the basement for two days because yeah. there's a rolling brownout and suddenly you're paying $3 a kilowatt hour instead of 12 cents. Like that totally messes up your entire system that you just put in on your new solar on the roof. Yeah. Like so you may, if that happens and, you, and you're not getting enough power from the grid and you have to flip that, that switch in the, in the basement and turn that thing on, You've, you've, you've thrown all your projections out the window, just like we throw all our projections out the window when Snowmageddon happened. So mm-hmm. that, I think it's a, it's a the, the question alone brings up, brings up a, big, a big issue that we're trying to attack a little bit differently. And that is, let's not just go after one thing. Let's think about how all these things interact together and the relationships between them. And when you really focus on the relationships between them all, you can act more like a natural system. Right. And then you can adapt to the problems in a much, much more versatile way. All right, I have, I have one other question that they've put in bold letters, so bold. I think Uh-oh. that they wanted to answer this. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's in the similar vein. Um, are organizations like the Texas Public Policy Foundation hindering wind power in Texas, and how big a hindrance is mm-hmm. that if they are? Uh, I, well, I, I think you have to look at what Texas has already done. Texas by itself is like the third largest country of installed wind power in the world. So <laughs> whether they were or not, it's not working, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe they are today. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, effectively say that's, I'm not, uh, but I will say that Texas has a massive installed wind power 
uh, category. And, and to be clear, <clears throat> there were a few wind turbines that didn't work. Those are the ones you saw in the news back then. Right. And as much as I don't like traditional wind because they're not recyclable, they're inefficient, and we think our product's better, that I still am grateful for what wind has done and opened the door for us to be charging down this path. That was the Prius before yeah. the Tesla. <laughs> exactly right. right. And, right. and Okay, I'll be compared to Tesla. <laughs> but my kids have more names than a letter. But, but I will say that, 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 the, that, that the, the challenges there were, were not as prevalent and I, as I think the, the, you know, our, our public belief is like, oh my gosh, wind turbines don't work when, it, when there's ice out. That's just not true. They work all over the world in the ice. They were, they were in isolated instances here yeah. that we can, we can address fairly easily. So uh, wind power is not necessarily the only answer for Texas, um, nor is solar. The fact is they're all a good answer, but they should be regionally specific. They sh and they should be in a relationship with each and other. The, and they yeah. should be working That's together. Right. You know, yeah. the, yep. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we've got a couple more questions. We'll try to answer those in text later. Um, the last one I'm going to leave with, you know, you started off talking about how um, we don't have an energy um, problem. We have an energy uh, conversion problem. So what's next? Are you looking at tackling water, waste, something else after wind and food? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I like to think from Hover's perspective, we're really trying to tackle the power issue right? uh, and the built environment and how the built environment works. We, we really believe that, that there are a lot of advances to make. Uh, I think the, the, the area that I mentioned about our system learning over time, that kind of you know, AI-infused uh, energy system where you really start to learn how things are working together, that can be really powerful in terms of, of, of continuing to shave power consumption as well as, as power production. Uh, but I also believe that you, you know, the built environment today <clears throat> uses about 30% of the power on this, on this planet. And if we can drop that and take the excess that we're creating from those buildings and push that into the other areas around it, the residential areas around it, and, and maybe even help power transportation in some ways um, is, as, the, as the whole transportation grid electrifies, uh, that power's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, why not have it come from your building? And so that kind of circular dynamic where, where systems are starting to work together is an area that has tremendous growth. Tremendous growth. You're already seeing it on a very, very small footprint with a few people putting, you know, EV charging stations outside their building. Well, what if you, you know, charged all the buses that went through Dallas? Yeah. What if you charged, you know, all of the, at the airports, you were charging all of the airports when planes are taking off. There, there's so many different ways where we could tackle systems mm -hmm. and begin to, and, and begin to change the way they work together rather than have them all working in isolation um, and us have to tackle them one at a time. Eric? I could go on for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but they, We're only like 15 I, minutes. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but one thing I would say is that um, I love this new term, biophilia. It's no wonder we're a bunch of biophiliacs. I read a book. We started in a garden, for Pete's sake. Right. That's what this book says. <laughs> and, um, but I love the term because it's drawing our attention to the things that are most important. It's about sustaining life. And I think we're moving from an ownership mentality to a stewardship mentality. And when I think of the things that go into our body that come from our planet, air, water, and food are so important. Energy is key because it touches all of those areas. Mm -hmm. Our soil is sick, right? 
the air is sick and people say, man, the earth is in trouble, we're in trouble. When we're all gone, she's going to be fine. Yeah. It won't take that long, by the way. <laughs> so there are things that we're looking at in terms of water production. The best water production method comes from evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. And that can be done from condensation from HVAC. We could draw water out of the air. I spent some time looking at a technology in Israel that was amazing, taking water out of the air. And it's clean because it goes through that fil filtration process. And if you want to do some extra things, UV PCO is pretty good, ultraviolet photocatalytic oxidation. And that's the second thing is you take a mineral that God made and you put that on the blades or the right. interior parts of a hover turbine or on the outside of a greenhouse or on the skin of a building, which we've done. We've done it about 12 years ago for free, putting on the outside of facades. Yeah. And we'd coat that. So ground level ozone that come in contact with the turbine, with the farm or with the facade, it breaks apart. There's an there's a electrostatic emission. We break that molecule apart. We separate nitrogen and oxide, sulfur and dioxides, and those are the most harmful ground-level ozone gases. So let's get the air right. We could do it today, and it doesn't cost a lot. Yeah. And that's the key, I think, is, yeah, it's socially desirable, it's economically viable, and it's deployable. And so those are definitely things we're going to work on, integrating that into the whole system. So the building may not be just producing food or energy, but actually water and clean air. Yeah. And we can do that. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here, having this conversation. My mind is blown. <laughs> if you want to learn more about some of the technologies that Corey, Chris, and Eric have been talking about, double check in the description below. Um, we'll put all their contact information as well as relevant material. And make sure to check out the Square episode next time.